Alrighty, everyone, welcome to the fourth episode of the Strength Institute podcast. Today we have Jack Connolly here from Raw Physiotherapy, his business. Um, Jack is not only a physio, but has a good background in competitive sport, being um, an ex-first grade rugby player, so a top amateur level athlete here. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to picking his brain on some things today. Uh, Jack, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Um, I guess just to get into things, first off, uh, in any profession, you're going to have people that are really switched on, book smart, they learn really well yeah. from studying a class, everything like that. Um, but then there's also a practical application. Yeah. Um, and and what, what I tend to, uh, to find is that it's really important to not only know all the knowledge and, and everything like that, but to be able to apply it where it's needed and to have a bit of nuance on, on what actually works in the real world. Um, so coming from being an athlete yourself, yeah. how have you found that sort of helps you um, as a physio? I guess like... Ever since I was a kid, I've played contact sport, so and I've played rugby for uh, over 10 years. So I think that really influenced the way I go about things because, like you said, there's a big difference between being book smart and actually having the kind of the practical knowledge. So I think that was first and foremost what kind of informed me. And then later in life, I decided after I finished school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Got stuck into physio and was pretty lucky in the way that I just... It flowed on really well for me and I really enjoyed it the more and more I did. So I was, I was pretty fortunate in that way. Um, but then I think that also informed my physio beliefs of that. Like the body's pretty robust. Like we've played a bit of rugby together and definitely seen a lot of different sort of injuries and seen a lot of like amazing feats as well in terms of strength and speed and things like that. So I think a lot of the time uh, physios maybe tend to be a little bit light on with how they approach things with uh, rehab and, and things like that. So I think knowing the person in front of you makes a huge difference. So knowing that, you know, using rugby as an example for us, knowing that a guy with maybe number one on his back compared to number 15 is going to have a huge difference in, in force and different vectors of force and velocity and acceleration and contact moments and all that sort of stuff. So without that knowledge and just using like blanket sort of rehab protocols, you're not going to address any of their, their needs and their demands of their sport. So they're going to fall short a lot of the time. And I think that's kind of, I mean, where I try and push people a little bit harder take that background of that contact sport and trying to, I guess, push into those higher levels to try and get the best out of people and actually have them rehab well and or even have on to someone like you as well and get them really strong sure. and, um, back onto the field better. Yeah, fantastic. I guess we'll get into um, sort of how you identify um, you know, underlying root causes and mm -hmm. how you uh, treat people. Um, but I, I guess what's most important, what I'm really interested in is are there any Injuries. I mean, you work with both general population yep. and athletes. Yep. Are there any uh, injuries that you see that are more prevalent than others um, for both mm. of those categories? Yeah. So I think, like, if you're looking more at your contact sports side of things, um, they're pretty complex because, as you may, as as a lot of people might know, like, it's quite difficult. You can't predict contact injuries. That that's they just happen a lot of the time. So if you're dealing with things like cuts and bruises and, and all those kind of, uh, even up to like fractures and ACLs and things like that, or contact ACLs, really hard to kind of manage initially and, and to prevent. But if you're talking more along the lines of um, the things that kind of might walk in the door and walk in the door when I'm in clinic, um, so you've got your classic like sore low backs, got sore shoulders and sore knees. So with low back, which is probably the most kind of like physio-y thing we see, it's the classic sort of physio um, number one problem that you go and see a physio for. So. What we typically would look at is um, kind of how that back pain came on. And a lot of time it's due to like the preparedness of people, I would say. So um, someone who's gone into deadlift a little bit heavier and, and then may have had like an acute incidence of pain and things like that. And um, 
I guess looking onto more like a like a, a shoulder, super complex sort of joint. So, and that's usually what I'll tell people when they first come in. So they're going to come in, and they're going to we're going to talk about things like can be coming from the shoulder joint itself, can be come from the rotator cuff, the bursa, the labrum, can be neck referred, can be even coming from some somatic referral like organs and all sorts. So, like working through and having like a good understanding of how to diagnose things is really important. But then also knowing that although that joint is super complicated and there's lots of complexity in it, that the treatment doesn't have to be. And a lot of the time it's about kind of getting people more prepared to, for their daily tasks. So shoulder, for example, is, is a very mobile sort of joint um, and it needs to be able to work overhead really effectively as well. So you're going to really focus on the two things for that. You're going to try and make it a stable joint and make it as strong as possible overhead to then try and reduce that instance of injury. Um, and things like knees, the most classic thing we'll see is, is uh, what you call patellofemoral pain syndrome, which is just a fancy way of saying the front of your knee hurts, um, which most people will tell you the first thing they walk in anyway. Very but common in the gym as well. Highly common, like you'll see people all the time with this sort of stuff. So, um, and that's this kind of people that have pain when they're squatting, pain when they're doing step ups or lunges, even going up and down stairs, or sometimes they'll even complain of like sitting in the car for too long, for instance. And the, those are kind of the the big three that we'll see, and I guess we can break them down a little bit more if you'd like to, or we can kind of, um, yeah, if we go through a few of the rehab exercises after, even Absolutely. I think, and can, um, sure. can lick them as well. Beautiful. What's your best way of actually giving a good diagnosis for an injury? One of the problems that I have in the gym is when people uh, have a hard time explaining what they're actually feeling, and I'm yeah. sure you have this issue as 100%. well. Yeah. So when I'm uh, trying to get someone to squat, it's either they're not aware exactly of how their body is moving, so they have yeah. an issue to describe that, um, or sometimes they just don't understand how the anatomy is meant to work. Yeah. So they might yeah. think, oh, it's, it's, it's coming from here, but really it's, it's coming from, from here, you yeah. know? So how do you, how do you diagnose? Do you put people through a screening? Yeah. Uh, is it very much an individual-based thing? Do you have mm -hmm. a sort of dot points that you like to go through as a checklist? Yeah, so I think, uh, so getting into the, the really physio-heavy stuff, the biggest thing that gives me the most information is chatting to someone, like getting the understanding of when it started, where it is, um, where it comes from, when it comes on, like how long is it there, like the irritability of things and, th and um, trying to get a really, really solid history gives you the most information. You can almost do most of your diagnostic work just from talking to someone and it's like, I guess in physio there's like an old saying that's um, the longer you talk to a patient, uh, you, they're more likely to give you their problem, but if you talk to them even longer, they'll give you the solution to that problem as well. So if you kind of, and it's a hard thing in practice though, you don't have all day to talk to someone and, and take them through that. So trying to extract as much clear, concise information in that first interaction is going to be most important. And then working from there, I guess, if you're moving more into like a, a physical exam, you might be doing things that you're going to try and you're going to have an index of suspicion after that. So if someone comes into you, for example, and let's say, like what you mentioned before, they've got knee pain. All right. Well, when do you get that knee pain? Is it during up or downstairs? Or is it? And they might give you, or they might give you, it's like it's when I squat. All right. Cool. Well, let's you know tell me a little bit more. Where is that pain? And trying to get them to point to it and things like that. It can be a pretty tricky enterprise sometimes, and you're not always going to get it right either. But trying to get them to give you the most information possible of like the quality of pain and stuff like that. All right. For you guys as strength and conditioning or fitness professionals as well, have them squat. It's the best tool. If that's what, if that's what gives them their pain, as long as you don't put them straight onto like a 1RM, you're going to be pretty safe. So I would get them squatting, have a look at it. On face value, is there something funky going on? 
um, is are they moving in a, in a weird way where you're starting to get a bit sus of like, oh yeah, maybe they are actually you know overloading that joint or maybe they're moving a little bit or they're lacking stability through their feet or through their torso or something. Something obvious. Start with that, I guess, is the easiest point. From there, I then try and, I guess, figure out if there is really obvious sources of pain from there. So more structural things. So is it more to do with, say, like a joint, for instance, or is it more to do with a muscle? And I guess if you're looking at an... Um, a really easy way that I will try and do that is if you load up the muscle, does does it reproduce the pain? So if you say to do uh, a leg extension, you know that's going to maybe isolate the quads a little bit more. Is that going to cause them their pain, um, or is that not cause their pain? It's maybe more positional, like when the squat as they get into that like 90 degrees and lower. Is it maybe a bit more joint force going through, which is normal, but maybe they're a bit sensitive to that as well. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a really tricky way to go about it and I think you just have to watch more people move and ask more questions. A lot of people kind of ask one question, they don't get the answer they're looking for and they get scared off. But it's about kind of, I guess, taking that opportunity to go, okay, yeah, that's all right, but ask, ask a few more questions. Try, see if you can get a little bit more information out of them and don't be afraid to test things. Like my, my strong belief is that the body's robust. And I think coming from your background and, and strong man and rugby and stuff, I think you can attest to that. The body can do some pretty amazing things if you let it. So if given the right time and exposure, it'll get strong. But in the same way, if it's sensitive and it's got a bit of pain, don't be too scared of pain. Pain's just a warning signal. So if they're sore and then, ah, it really hurts when I squat, well, maybe let's try a bodyweight squat. Let's unload it a little bit. Let's see if you can still achieve a little bit. Um, and using that as an assessment tool, because ultimately, that's what they want to get back to. Is the thing they come and say, or they say to you, you know, it hurts when I deadlift. All right, that is a significant activity to them, and they want to get back to that probably. So, well, let's have a look at your deadlift. What's what's stopping you? Can we achieve something like that? Can we make you stronger, more flexible? You know, is your position just really battery technique just terrible, and you just need to be taught that? Because I'm sure you see that a lot as well, same as I do. Uh, when I ask people to squat, or, or when people are having any sort of issue, um, what I tend to find is if I ask 10 people who have never been coached before to squat, yeah. I'm going to get close to 10 different ways people are squatting, Definitely. which is kind of funny. So um, the body is meant to move in a specific way. Now, of course, everyone yeah. um, is built a little differently. So you can't expect uh, a six foot seven guy to be squatting, at, who weighs 150 kilos to be squatting the same way maybe a 60 kilo, uh, five foot eight person's gonna yeah. squat. And they're gonna squat different, they have different leverage, uh, leverages, different backgrounds. Um, but, but what I do try to focus on is, is I look at their technique and then I sort of see uh, what's being obstructed here, what, what doesn't look natural, yeah. what looks hard, why is it forced? And we try to work around it. Is it forced because their knees are knocking in? Well, let's get mm. those knees out. And yeah. why are the knees going in in the first place? Is it because they have weak glutes or are they just not sure that the knees should be going yeah. out? So uh, I guess, yeah, I th think repetition and actually trial and error and working through individually yeah. with clients is a great way to um, sort of I try to identify what the problems are. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. In terms of, of injuries or pain that I do see with clients, mm. um, and I wonder if it's the same for you, I would say and you did touch on it just before, sometimes it might be strength related, position related. Yeah. Uh, is there one thing that people uh, are, are more likely to have as an underlying uh, root cause? Is it that they generally have a muscular imbalance that they can't get into a position? Is it they just have terrible flexibility and mobility and they can't put themselves into the correct technique? Uh, or is it that they're just too weak to support themselves? Do you have one that rises above the rest? I think in the gym yeah. it's probably strength and mobility related yeah. the most. Yeah, I think from my background, I, I look at everything as in terms of capacity. And like I said, the body's robust. It's going to adapt to whatever you give it. Um, it just depends how fast you give it. So if you watch, like you said, maybe 10 different people squat, you're going to get 10 different results. But 
like you said, each of those individuals as well. So they're going to move in a way um, that's probably going to be more organic to them. And in that same way, like you don't necessarily always want to intervene. Some people are going to move a little funky, but that's going to be the best way for them to move in some way. So I always believe that like you want to you want to give people uh, an overarching theme. Like say you're going to squat, like like I said, knees out is always like not a bad cue. But but for some people, you know, it, it just doesn't get them working very well. So I think everything for me comes down to that capacity, which in the gym I reckon is mostly strength. Strength based is, is one of the big ones. Um, and that's and that's really trainable, which is really good as well. But we know as well for something like um, knee collapse, there's usually a threshold for everyone where eventually your knees are gonna collapse. So some people's like threshold, yeah. Just before we go on about knee collapse, yeah. can you explain that to people that aren't sure what knee collapse means? Yeah. We so, see it a lot in the gym. <laughs> yeah, so I guess knee collapse or knee valgus, you might have heard it cold as well, um, is when you're particularly squatting or maybe lunging and you find that that your knee drops inwards and cruises over the, the arch of your foot um, and is, is more kind of in line with your other knee as opposed to your hip. So that's that valgus is an internal rotation of the hip, uh, pronation of the foot, um, so and that and that's that cl classic position that we really in the gym we're really taught to try and avoid because if you look at research like um, things maybe like ACLs and stuff, there is typically a bit of a relationship there between knee collapse, valgus, internal rotation, and ACL injuries and stuff. So it's a big injury prevention point that we definitely talk about. Um, so like I was saying with that, there's a certain threshold that everyone's strength eventually will they'll eventually have knee valgus. So if we can get them stronger, quite often the knee, it'll correct itself and they won't have any pain. So I really tend to focus a lot on strength because I think it, it seems, tends to be a lot of an issue. And if you can raise someone's threshold and their capacity up, they tend to have a lot less pain, a lot more functionality. Great. So you've said a few times that you think the body's quite robust and that you like to have a bit more of a, an aggressive, aggressive, but like a full yeah. on uh, approach to, to tackling issues, pain, um, injuries. What do, you, what do you suppose is the number one cause of these injuries? Mm. and 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 how do you determine how much someone should do in terms of getting them back to health? Um, what should people expect in terms of heal time, in terms of pain reduction, um, yeah. everything like that? So from my perspective and kind of informing that with a, a lot of the research that we read from um, strength and conditioning coaches and other exercise physiologists and scientists, is it's, it's to do with largely like you've exceeded the demands of your body. Uh, the demands have exceeded the capacity of your body, rather. So, that would be the number one cause of injury as a blanket thing, which is what you can maybe call like overuse injury back in, back in what we, we now kind of updated to training load error related injury. So it's the fact that you've tried to rush the process a little bit um, and as a result, you've, you've got a bit of pain or injury from that. So you can't really rush the biology of um, adaptation. Um, I mean, you might be if, you can, if you're using steroids and things like that, but apart from that, uh, you can't really rush adaptation, so it's going to take things like you know, four or six weeks for that hypertrophy for those strength gains. Like, you can't really rush these things, and if you do try to do that in your training programs, so you know, jacking up your weights by 10, 20, 30, 40 percent, you know, over a matter of days, weeks, or sessions, you are going to probably find that the body doesn't adapt to those demands, and instead it accumulates too much fatigue, and as a result, you get pain and injury. Well, we actually t I talked with Lewis Dallimore, who's a professional strength and conditioning coach with the yeah. Kintetsu Liners in Japan, a rugby yeah. team, uh, and we, we also talked about capacity. Uh, uh, from the research that, that he was looking at and working from, and the way that he uh, guides his playing squad, mm. is that if they start to do more than 
um, of what their uh, sort of weekly average of workload yeah. is, that's when he starts to see unnecessary injuries happening. Yeah. Um, of injuries, uh, injuries that could be avoided yeah. uh, that, that come. So that's uh, what I would call, you know, overuse injury. Uh, yeah. You're calling it a training load error. Training load I mean. error, which yeah. is yeah, which is pretty which much is exactly what it is. Exactly. So, uh, have you seen any sort of research or stati statistics on on how much is too much? Yeah. Yeah, so that's a lot of work by, um, and if anyone's interested in research on things, looking at a guy called Tim Gabbett has stacks and stacks of research on this sort of stuff, and uh, also a guy called John Orchard. So they're really, really good resources, and they talk about things like the acute to chronic workload ratio, which is um, a lot of stats sort of stuff, but basically, if you, um, there's a really simplified version, which you might call it the golden rule, which is if you exceed more than 10% of your kind of previous Adapt, adaptive kind of training load, what you're used to, you, you're more likely to get injured. You're not guaranteed to, but it does spike up pretty quickly once you exceed more than 10 to 15% of what you've done previously. And then looking at the, I guess, um, more complex, like looking at the actual acute to chronic workload ratio, uh, if you look at the past month of training and you kind of know what each work, what each week you've kind of done and how much load you've, you've uh, established, if you go past that 1.2 times that much, so an increase 20% on the previous, then you tend to find injuries then spike. And um, I can put some resources in the podcast and stuff as well. There's um, a few really good graphs and stuff that illustrate that really well. So there's a lot of research on that. And I definitely try and guide people in the way that try not to do too much too quick. Like if you, want to, if you do want to improve, you need to push. But if you push more than that kind of 10, 15, uh, even up to 30%, that's but again, again, coming from a professional background, those guys have got a really big long training history of elite sport. They probably do have a little bit more of a maybe a leeway. Exactly, sure. they've got they've got they're really accustomed to it. So, if you're newly starting out, maybe ten to fifteen percent is probably you know a good a good you know margin to, to aim for. So, talking about training workload yeah. and how to um, how to figure out how much you should be doing, especially if you don't have a strength coach or someone guiding you yeah. like that, um, you don't want to just jump on the internet, look at a, something like a small off squat cycle <laughs> where you're going to be yeah. squatting three to five times a week, yeah. doing way too much, you know? So, um, what's, what's a good way or any sort of principles people should, should uh, listen to about trying to figure out how much work they should be doing? Yeah, so I think knowing, like, if say if you're coming, knowing your training history is really important. So, if you've never stepped foot inside a gym, I would be going very, very easy for the first few times. Whereas if you have some training history, um, you might be pushing yourself a little, a little bit more. So I think a good analogy that, um, again, uh, Tim Gabbard kind of went through in his course was that the very first time you ever had alcohol, you had a beer, if you had one or two beers, you're feeling probably a little bit tipsy sometimes as well. Um, as if you had three, four or five, maybe six beers, you're, you're almost passed out and you're, you're, you're drunk. And then the next day you get a really bad hangover. In the same way, if you're going through and training and you have you know, a, a, a small dose of training, you'll adapt to that and you'll build your tolerance up as well. Um, but if you have, if you do, like you said, like a small level of German volume training, 10 sets of 10 sort of stuff, which I do see a lot of people come with some raging knee and back pain after that, you've just overcooked yourself and essentially you've, you've got an exercise hangover. So you've, you've overdone it and you've got those negative effects of training as opposed to just getting those positive effects. So it's about trying to Probably be conservative the first time. Just just tick the body over. I always like to do that. See what feels right. So jump under a bar, empty bar. How does it feel today? Well, my knees are screaming at me. All right, maybe we're not going heavy and maybe we're not going so deep. So it's just going to be kind of do it on that individual. Your body's going to tell you a lot about how it's feeling. 
listen to it to some degree. But you might find that after two or three sets of warm up, yeah, you can chuck 60 on the bar, 100 on the bar even. So, but again, controlling that volume, making sure you maybe only do one set or you only build to one reasonable set is gonna make sure that you're not gonna get those negative effects and that exercise hangover the next day, which may eventually lead to pain and injury as well. Sure, now this exercise hangover you're talking about is not yeah. just arms, um, like a delayed onset of muscle yeah. soreness. It could be that, um, but you're saying also, you know, might actually flaring something up. And that's Correct. different from dumbs. And a lot of people need to understand yeah, that definitely. overworking something, you might get that inflammation in the Correct. joint, which yeah. is pain. Yeah. Uh, but people that aren't used to working out, even people that are used to working out, if they have a really big session, they might get yeah. something called delayed onset of muscle soreness or dumbs. Yeah. And sometimes it skips a day. You think you're fine, then it gets you the, the day after, the yeah. second day. Um, uh, but that's just the muscle repairing itself, uh, and, and it's nothing to be to be worried about. No. Uh, I like to tell my clients when they are feeling that is is to move. Yeah. You need to help yeah. them some flush out any bad stuff that's hanging around. So go for a walk, you know, yeah. move your arms around. Just keep the body moving to help yeah. sort of progress through that. Um, if you are feeling DOMS all the time, uh, you're probably picking a workload that's a little bit too intense for yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, protein synthesis happens relatively shortly, a couple days, and yep. your muscle's done all the growing and strengthening it's gonna do. So if you're sore four or five days later, uh, you're not getting any benefits from that workout. You're right. actually just probably delaying the amount of time before you can get a good workout That's in right. again. Yeah, exactly. So there's a little bit of um, self-regulation in terms of, yeah, absolutely. of um, just pick something that's challenging, uh, but you wanna be able to do something else later that week. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of studies have shown that multiple gym sessions on the same muscle group per week are beneficial. Yeah. Um, so if you're too sore to squat a second time that week, maybe we need to back down the intensity a little bit on the first session. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There is a bit. Yeah, there is definitely a bit of research showing that if you can get more sets in um, by breaking it up, it, that's pretty effective. So it's really good at, uh, at inducing more muscle hypertrophy. Dumps can be tricky sometimes. Like you said, they sneak up on you a little bit, and if you do unaccustomed unaccustomed exercises, is a big one. If you go from all doing regular double foot squats to then suddenly doing lunges. It's a different, slightly different, it, it feels the same, like a lot of the time it looks the same, but, and you're working the same muscle groups, but it can kind of sneak up on you because it's just that different neurological, kind of neurophysiological, that muscle firing pattern's a little bit different. So it does sneak up on you sometimes as well. So knowing that a different exercise is gonna induce a different effect and that you're going to maybe, again, start from scratch, just see how you, see how you go with that order regulation that we talked about as well. Right. But when I'm kind of getting people back into stuff, they're coming from a super low threshold where they might have not done any training for a month because of pain and injury. That's when you got to kind of, that doesn't work, that model of doing 10%, you can't do 10% more of nothing necessarily. So you've got to just start and, and using your, you know, I guess what we would call your clinical judgment and the same thing, I guess your judgment on terms of what you think that person can achieve and then <clears throat> just testing it. Test and retest, 100% of the time, like I would definitely say that I'd burn some people and overcook them a little bit with how much I asked them to do or I don't give them enough structure to say do less. And some people you underdose a lot as well. And you're just gonna make those little micro adjustments based on uh, the feedback that you get. So for example, if someone's got a, a cranky knee, um, they've got a bit of patellofemoral pain, maybe some swelling um, and some, like they're unable to squat. So if you do a little bit of rehab work with them, get some basic, maybe some corrective exercise you could call them to decrease their pain and then they can squat again. They've still got a little swelling, but they can squat. You give them a few more gym exercises, hey, go hit this, and they come back and they're in more pain, they can't squat and they're more swollen. Uh, I've overcooked you a little bit, let's, let's take 10, 20% off that, depending on kind of what you find, and let's try that again. Because pain doesn't kill people. And I think the, the, more, the more I get into physio, the less scared I am of pain, which is really, which is really interesting. You think you, know, you kind of tend to back off because pain's the number one thing people come to see you about. But 
you can really push someone. They, they are robust and pain is just, again, like a warning system. So it's just going to tell you uh, you might have overdone it a little bit. Right. But not the end of the world. Not the end of the world. You've got to Potentially not the end of the world. Potentially not. <laughs> yeah, it depends. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's, it's, I think a lot of people are scared of pain. So don't be afraid to push in and around pain. Like we know, you know, if things are kind of three or four, I, I'll regularly push people to a three, four or five out of 10 pain during their rehab. If I know that they're stable, that the pain goes away quickly and that they get a good training stimulus to then help with their re rehab. And so you would base that around so long as it's not like a structural issue. Correct. Um, you know structurally nothing's going to break down. They're getting Correct. pain because there's probably some swelling in there, everything like that, exactly. or the joint's not used to moving exactly. like it should have. Okay. Exactly. So yeah, someone who's just had an ACL reco, we know that the graft is most unstable, kind of that 60 degrees to 90 degrees. Imagine on a leg extension, that kind of from this position to this position. So you're not going to load them heavily in an open chain because that's going to put a lot of stress through that graft. But in the same way, they can squat. You know, it's only thing that's stopping them is inflammation. We know that there's very, very little like translational force during something like a squat. So you can load that with their squat to their tolerance almost from day one. Um, it's just that they're, they're not going to be able to do it very well because their quads are usually pretty shot by that stage. But, right. So taking account that structural side of things, and that's what we would always do in, in physio, or at least with my background, of assessing people. Yep, there's no structural damage. I'm really confident of that. Let's load you up. Day one, day zero, you're back in the gym because it's a controllable environment. And that's the beauty of it. You can change range, you can change weight, you can change intensity, you can change it all to suit that person. Um, so I think that that's where I spend most of the time. That's why we're based out of gyms because that's where you can get, the, I think, from my perspective, the best, the best sort of rehab work done and push people pretty hard from. Well, it's, interesting, it's interesting you're saying that because uh, what I tend to find with people that are in pain is I, I want to keep them in the gym. I want to keep them in the gym because when someone gets a sore lower back and then they say, I just need to rest it, yeah. they go home and then they lie down yeah. and they don't do anything, uh, it doesn't get better. It doesn't fix itself. No. Uh, what I like to focus on, and I think it's interesting that you say that you will sometimes push them through, you know, maybe three out of 10 pain-wise yeah. during their rehab, is that uh, when I'm in the gym, I have a slightly different approach. I try to get as much pain-free range of motion as I can just to get that movement back into the, the joint or the muscle, um, yeah. whatever is giving them a hard time. Uh, pain-free range of motion, and then try to slowly build back to a, a full mm. range of motion that is also pain-free. You still have to try to, you know, pander them, make them feel comfortable. So it is a tricky line to walk sometimes. It is, and that's the whole. That's the fun of working with people. It's really individual, and every person is going to have a different approach. So you're going to have those people that come and say, "Yeah, I've got a sore back, but I want to do my deadlift one RM today." They just don't care about pain, and those are the people you're going to have to like pull back a little bit. Say, "Oh no, maybe well, let's let's change it up. Let's you know, let's let's do a different activity today." Um, whereas you're going to have those people that are straight away on the phone, I've got a tiny 1 out of 10 back pain and I can't train. I'll, be, I'll, I'll call you in a month. And those are the people that are going to do really poorly because they're falling out of routine. Like you said, it doesn't get better because you're laying down. It doesn't heal. A lot of times there's not a lot of damage in back pain. It's not like everyone's like discs are exploding and things like that. It's a lot of time, it's a lot of irritation. Maybe some inflammation. Maybe there is a little bit of structural irritation. So sprains and strains and stuff like that. But we know that's really safe to train with. The back, the back is super strong. Like it's really, really hard to, to do yourself some good damage, even though that might show up on some scans. So from day one, I'll quite often get people to do to work within their tolerance. But if they're a person that tends to pull back a lot, maybe it is just some breathing, Pilates-style almost exercises, as much as it pains me to do so sometimes. <laughs> but, um, but then you're going to have some people with back pain who you might get doing some goblet bot squats or even some light pulling work from day one who can tolerate it who aren't too scared of it 
and who don't have an immediate symptom flare up as well. Yeah. So it depends on that person that walks in front of you. You can have the same same diagnosis, same structure, two very different people you can treat very differently. So I guess you take it up to their limit of how aggressive and, and I guess what their goals are as well. If they're a little old lady, they might not want to lift deadlift 200 kilos, but they might want to be able to lift up something from the floor. And things. Whereas if you've got a young rugby player who do, does want to be operating at a, a really high level, you might push them a little bit more aggressively to try and get them back as quick as possible. So it's all going to be done in the individual context. And that's why knowing your patient and knowing your client is definitely the king of all that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, you talked about uh, seeing structural damage sometimes, yeah. but minor structural damage. Yeah. And, and that actually just uh, uh, rung a bell in my head is that uh, there was a pretty interesting study that showed a lot of uh, high-level athletes, uh, when they finish and they've had scans of their body, they actually don't have a lot of pain in their back. But if you were to look at their MRI or, or their X-ray, you'd think, oh, oh, Jesus, well, there's going to be a lot. There's going to yeah, be a yeah. lot of pain there. Yeah. So just because something is not standard, uh, it doesn't mean that that is bad or even wrong for that person. I mean, generally, athletes that have spent a decade uh, mastering whatever sport they're playing. Uh, will build enough muscular development to, and structural support to support anything that um, isn't sitting quite right. Yeah. So sometimes, if you have a bit of back pain, going off and running to an MRI machine is not the, the best idea because you're going to pick up every little thing that could potentially be in there that's not actually causing you any, any issues. Exactly. So I think the best thing to try to do is to work through what issues you're having um, and try to get that, that pain-free range of motion or, as you were saying, if it's not structural, uh, work through a, a low degree of pain just to get that movement back in and get them some more confidence. Absolutely. We know from a lot of research there was a study by, I think his name was Brzezinski, and in anyone who's older than 20 to 70, they took about over 3,000 people and they put them in 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and then they looked at these people had no back pain and they scanned them all, and then they commented on all the abnormalities they found. And in each decade of age over 20, the, the markers of disc bulges, um, prolapses, uh, things like uh, arthritis and stuff like that, it was almost completely prevalent in those in the 60s and 70s. You're going to find that regardless if you've been pain or not. And the same thing with 20 year olds. There's some people with like fissures in their disc, disc bulges, prolapses that have never had pain. So it's really hard to say that when you have your uh, first instance of back pain, go jump in an MRI machine. If you're 30 or 40 or even 20, you might have had that for 5 or 10 years. You don't know. So is that the thing that's really causing your pain or is it that you've maybe committed a training load error or you've, you know, there's things that are more complex like sleep and stress that then also can modify pain. So it's really complex to sometimes say that, yep, that disc bulge is what's causing your pain. And it's a pretty slippery slope because then you end up, you know, maybe on the surgeon's table a little bit quicker than if you just kind of worked within what you can achieve. So I think that's where, you know, uh, hopefully seeing someone like a physio who you trust or whoever your healthcare provider is, who goes, yeah, it's all right to move, gives you authority, and then you get back into your training. So quite often I'll see someone, establish there's no kind of you know, crazy neurological things going on, there's nothing, no what we call red flags in physio, which is like things that are not musculoskeletal, so you know, cancer and stuff pops up from very, very rarely, and these other kind of nasties. Exclude all that, exclude raging leg pain um, and nerve pain, you're good to go jump back in and I'll give a hand over to a personal trainer or a strength coach and say, hey, this person is pretty structurally good to go, just do what you normally do. Because most of the time PTs and um, strength coaches and all, and all those kind of coaches are really, really good at working with people but they don't get the opportunity because someone like a physio, a car or a doctor says, no, nah, take it easy, 
don't do anything and we know that that worsens outcomes. We know from day one that, that that's what really causes people to, to struggle and to then not actually get better. Well, if you, if you don't use it, you lose it. 100%. And that's the same with everything from mobility, fitness, strength. Absolutely, it? yeah. So the body adapts to what, it, to what it's given. If you give it nothing, it's gonna recycle that strength because it, it's an efficient machine. You know? It only keeps what it needs. So if you're teaching it that it doesn't need much, you're not gonna have much. Right. Yeah. Um, in terms of prevention methods, yeah. so this is kind of tricky because generally you wouldn't see someone unless they're having an issue. Definitely, yeah. So if you could uh, tell someone who's not having pain, yeah. hey, these three things are the most important things that you need to sort of look at and focus on mm -hmm. to avoid coming back into my practice yeah. later. What do you think they are? I mean, there's strength, there could be yeah. mobility, but do you have any sort of markers that you would like to see people do? Touch your toes or be able to do this, uh, body weight squat. Yeah. Anything that jumps to mind? I think, again, and this is the annoying thing with, I guess, talking to physios and healthcare providers, everything's pretty gray. It's got to be the individual in front of you. So there's no one blanket rule that I would tell anyone except uh, always keep moving. So when you stop, like I said, you lose it. Um, and, and manage your training load. That's the biggest thing. If you um, if you change things too rapidly, that's when you're going to get injury and pain like we talked about before. So those are the big sort of things. And then from there, you can get more specific depending on your task. So if you have, for instance, someone who's like an inflexibility sport, like a, a gymnast, you know, if their hammies are tight, that's going to be a really restricting thing. Um, and same thing, I guess, if you're looking um, at injury, uh, what's one of the more common muscle injuries we have in field sports is hamstring injuries. happen all the time, um, unfortunately. But we know from research that if you have good hamstring length and strength, that you have a markedly reduced level of injury. So depending on the, for field sports, people specifically, I would definitely be talking about things like um, doing like muscle eccentrics. Um, because ham race, Nordic curls. Nordic curls, which has heaps of research, which is awesome to dive into if you're interested in that sort of stuff. But like I said, it has to be that combination of length and strength with hamstrings, because that's a bit of an interest area for me as well, because that's just something you see pretty often. And they can, a lot of them can be reduced and prevented, which, and again, there's a lot of research on that. So if you were to say, manage, uh, manage your training, your training as best you possibly can, don't make rapid jumps, and then more specifically into your sports with things like, um, uh, if you know hamstring injuries are really common in, in soccer, soccer athletes, you're gonna do things like your Nordics and, um, and other kind of strength and conditioning exercises to try and prevent those specific things. So it's, it's really difficult to say once one exact thing, because otherwise we would probably be a lot better at preventing injuries than we actually are. Yeah. I, um, it's funny that you mentioned hamstrings. Uh, when I did my injury prevention rehabilitation units at uni uh, for my strength and conditioning yeah. masters, uh, I was looking at hamstring injury because it's yeah. just so prevalent in sports like soccer, oh, AFL, so. rugby. Yeah. Uh, and, and it found the same thing is that, uh, first of all, the most common uh, reason for someone to get injured hamstring is they have already had yeah, an injured exactly. hamstring. And there's a bunch of risk factors that were there, um, but again, lengthening and strengthening was yeah. the number one um, key to sort of preventing that. And Absolutely. so with all of my rugby players, the three go-to hamstring exercises are glute ham raise, Nordic curls, and uh, yeah. Romanian deadlifts, which yeah. are great great for lengthening and strengthening those hammies. And I think looking at that as well, there's also um, some research that goes through. Uh, if you have sprinting in a sport, like field sports, where a, there is reason to sprint um, every now and then, if you sprint, uh, you know, if you prepare in your training to sprint, probably like twice a week, you have markedly reduced hamstring injuries in games as well. So again, it comes down to the demands of that person and then also kind of making them, pushing them to, to achieve those demands. Or as I, I heard Tim Gabbett when I went to one of his courses say, like it's preparing for the worst case scenario. If you can, 
if you can in a game, if you know that your peak speed, for instance, is you're going to be hitting, you know, five meters per second. If you know you can get to five, five and a half, six meters per second, if your body's prepared for that, you're not going to break in a game that easy. You're just going to have those unfortunate contact errors yes. every now and then. Yeah. But yeah, there's, so there's plenty of research into injury prevention, and I guess like things like as well should touch on like the FIFA 11 program, if you've heard of that, um, that's for soccer, and these are injury prevention programs that you can find online, you just punch them into Google and there's whole PDFs that pop up, there's the footy first and netball knee, there's all these injury prevention programs based on uh, quite good research a lot of time, or reasonable research, best we've got, um, and these things are to do with strength and, and neuromuscular function, so fancy way of saying can you balance and control movement, and these are there ready to go for most sports teams or even coaches. And you can run through these 10 minute warm ups and cool downs that get people good results in reducing injuries. So there's stuff's out there. Yeah. It's just that we're not perfect yet and it's really hard to predict injury. Um, but there are some good tools out there to try. Sure. So yeah, I guess if you feel like um, you're not proficient at using tools like PubMed or, or Google yeah, Scholar, that, uh, there are a lot of good resources you're saying. So yeah. I mean, while there's a lot of misinformation out there on Google, <laughs> I'm yeah. sure you'd be able to find, you know, if you are playing a sport like rugby, like netball, yeah. and get in there and, and search common injuries. Uh, and then when you, when you identify what those injuries are, um, there's going to be a lot of uh, resources on how to prevent those injuries or re at least reduce the risk. Yeah. And if you're not sure, go and see a, a strength coach and, and, and ask them. <laughs> there's a lot of people who are interested in these sort of areas who are actually interested in research and doing the most evidence-based procedures and, and techniques. That If you just ask them, they're going to give you almost a thumb drive sometimes just full of information because people, I guess probably like yourself and myself, we're passionate about trying to spread that knowledge and actually getting people more aware because I think a lot of time that knowledge is power, excuse the cliche, but you can control a lot if you understand a lot. So you're going to be, you know, going to do a really good service if you can just go out there, put yourself out there and actually talk to someone who might know a little bit more than you um, and you're going to get pointed in the right direction for sure. Yeah. The only thing that I would say guys when looking for, um, for information is, is try to keep it simple. Like Jack's saying, yeah. there's, there's so much information that people can yeah. throw at you Sometimes, you know, you don't need to be doing a single-legged hop while throwing a ball against the wall, yeah. blindfolded. Sometimes the best thing to do is just to stick to basics. Yeah. So if you want to strengthen up your, your lower uh, body, uh, squat and deadlift and try yeah. to get it pain-free. If, if you want to have a strong and safe shoulders and, and upper body, uh, bench, overhead press, heavy pulls. Yeah. So it, there is, um, I guess it doesn't have to be complicated. Absolutely. It can be simple and try not to overcomplicate things if you are trying to find out more about these things. Absolutely. I think all of, and that's something, the more I learn, the simpler my stuff gets. I think a lot of my injury prevention programs and things like that now are going to be based around running and sprinting, um, change of direction, and then gym-based, sort of just general muscular capacity. And they're not going to be fancy lots of, like you said, hopping, blindfold, that sort of stuff. They're going to be a simple push and pull, um, maybe some plyometric stuff and getting ready for uh, ballistic plyometric stuff. It's, it's all going to be simple stuff and, and that's the best thing. If it's simple, it doesn't mean it's not complex, it just means that that person's boiled it down enough for you so that it's really easy to do. So I think that's the essence of it. Which is really important too because a lot of the time um, issues that I'll find with clients is adherence to a program. Absolutely. So yeah. if it's really complicated and it's really hard and it's really fidgety and it's yeah. hard to get set up and it's time consuming, yeah. they're not going to do it. No way. So you want to keep it streamlined enough that it's challenging them, yeah. uh, but at the same time, um, they're actually going to get in there and do it. They're not just going to um, you know, throw on the back seat and forget about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's physio in a nutshell. I can give out as many 
exercises that I want um, that I think you know I can make this beautiful, well-rounded program that's going to prevent your back pain in the future and rehabilitate you now. But if you don't do it, it's not going to it's not going to get better. Right. So I'd much rather say, what is the one thing that I can get you to do for you know that's going to make you better. So if I say, just go back to the gym, but don't do anything that hurts. You don't even routine. Like there's there's going to be little little leeways and bits and pieces, but like just got to do it and you just got to make it as simple as possible. Yeah, I definitely think that's a massive, uh, a massive thing. Physios overcomplicate things. Just Not just physios, I think everyone has the ability to, over to overcomplicate yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, Jack, thanks very much for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Much. It's been great talking to you about everything like this. Yeah, you too. And uh, hang around because we're going to be coming back with a few sort of up close and personals on how to get through some different sort of injury rehabilitation um, and yeah. prevention work. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thanks.